Well, we've been on a journey of discovering who we are in Christ, that we are, if, if we're in Christ, now I don't want to miss that phrase, if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, not just we try to turn over a new leaf or we're pretty good people or we go to church with some regularity or we give a little money or whatever the kind of things we think of what being a Christian is, but we really are in Christ. The Bible says we're new creations. So something different has happened to us. So we've been trying to establish this idea of who we are in Christ. So we don't think we fall out of being in Christ, and then we're in, then we're out, and then we're in. So we've been dealing with the topic of sin, how all that works, and, and how in Christ we're forgiven forever. Isn't that good news? In Christ, on your best day or your worst day, you're still heaven bound. Now that makes some people nervous, especially if you have teenagers, because you say, Tracy, don't be teaching that to my teenagers, that on their best day or their worst day, they're still going to heaven. But, and, but I'm t- again, I'm talking about somebody in Christ. Are you in Christ? Well, you say, but how could I, how could I go to heaven on my worst day? Because I want, I want to let you know, it's not to discourage you, but to tell you the beauty of the gospel. Your best day isn't very good. You know, you think, well, well my best day, I, I really do well. Because we're not comparing ourselves with other people. We compare ourselves to the impeccable, holy, flawless God. And so, wow, then that is on my best day. I'm not really that good compared to a holy, impeccable God. So what's my hope? Our only hope is Jesus. He's our only hope. So I want to give us a quick reminder of what we've been looking at. If anyone's in Christ, this is from Scripture. This isn't just opinions. This just isn't ideas. This is actually what the Bible teaches just, this, is, this is a Christian's identity. This is a Christian's reality of who we are in Christ. This, the scripture says, this, the old's gone, the new has come. So the old's gone, the new has come. We are new creations. I think maybe the King James used the word creature, which I like that. We're new creatures. We're new creations in Christ, new. God's not counting our sins against us. And like I say, any denomination that loves Jesus will, will have somewhere in their theology that Jesus forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. And that's actually a great teaching. He does. We're made perfect forever. Think about that. I mean, right now, in Christ, I'm made perfect forever. Jesus is our ultimate high priest. His sacrifice paid for the price of sins once and for all, for everyone and for always. So he doesn't have to go back to the cross again, and and we don't get saved over and over and over again. Because think about how wearisome that would be if every time we sin, we lose our salvation, we've got to gain it back and lose it and gain it back and lose it and gain it back and all that. So he doesn't count our sins against us. We are clothed in his righteousness. We're clothed in God's righteousness. I can't get any more righteous than that. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm covered in Jesus, the scripture says. I'm clothed in Christ. Our salvation does not hinge upon our fast repentance. Remember we talked about the fact that, oh man, if you said a, if you commit a sin, you've got to repent real fast because what if you fell over dead before you said the prayer, then you go to hell and all that. No, that's not how that works. On our best day or worst day, if we're Christians, we're still Christians. So it's not dependent upon how quick we repent. And I'm not opposed to repentance. I'm just saying we don't have to live in that fear. Can you imagine the fear and anxiety of that? I mean, and probably some of us have been there before because we've been taught that. And you've, you put your head down on the pillow at night and you, you, play, you pray a closing prayer for your day that's very fearful oriented. Like, oh God, please help me if I've done something I shouldn't have done. If I... If I didn't do something I should have, you know, and all this, there's all this anxiety, but fear brings torment, and so that's not, that's not God's system. You say, but there's not going to be any sin in heaven. We discovered that there's not going to be any sin in heaven because the Bible says God is able to bring us into his presence, faultless, blameless, sinless, and perfect, and he brings us into his presence with rejoicing and joy, and there's not going to be any sin in heaven because God doesn't see us in sin. 
The old's gone, the new has come, we're new creations, and we're actually clothed in Jesus. So when we step before Jesus, he doesn't see the last little petty sin we committed. He sees his son. He sees our Savior. He sees Jesus. So very important that we get these things into our heart. But now, as we've talked about all this, we, it, it, it begs the question, well, what about sin? What about sin? So are we saying we don't sin anymore? I'm not saying that. Are we saying we should take sin lightly? I'm not saying that. Should we say, well, there's no reason to ever say you're sorry or, or make things right? I'm not saying that. There's, there's good reason to search our hearts and search our souls. So what are we saying? Are, are we saying that, hey, we can just go do whatever we want because we're covered in Christ? I'm not saying that either. So we're going to look at what, what the scriptures teach about Christians and can Christians sin First of all, unless you're deceiving yourself, I don't have to really spend three weeks teaching that. Can Christians sin? Are you a Christian? Have you ever sinned? Since you became a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that about you. I mean, sometimes we might lie about ourselves, but we, we know everyone around us. Yeah, they've sinned. So I want to see what the scripture says. And James, James, the brother of Jesus, he, he writes these words. And by the way, it's clearly written to Christians. Three different times just through chapter 1, he says, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, which is a term of endearment for Christians. He used the term believers. It's definitely written to Christians. Then he says this, temptation comes from our own desires. No one should say when they're tempted, I'm tempted to God. God's not tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. We've all experienced it. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? Death. So when you look at this, it's not that we have spiritual death every time we sin or that we physically die. Generally, when the scripture talks about the wages of sin is death, it's usually talking about living life as a sinner apart from Christ. And the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ. But it also does talk to Christians, as we just read, about sin in our own lives. And so this temptation that leads to sin does not create, I mean, we don't drop dead like that. We don't lose our salvation and gain it and lose it and gain it and lose it and gain it. So, so what is happening here? It produces death in some area of your life. Let, let's say you're grumpy, you're a complainer, you're a nitpicker, you're a fault finder. You know, you're, you're a murmurer. I'm going to let you know a little secret. Nobody likes that about you. I'm very sorry. No one likes that about you. The, and you don't have a lot of people who think, I want you to be my friend. Because after spending 10 minutes with you and hearing you grump and gripe and complain and murmur and fault fine, they have no desire to say, I think this is a person I want to spend a lot of time with. You say, well, I got friends. They're, they're probably, you know, got stuck with you like family members, you know, things like that, because you're, you're grumpy and you're complaining. But you may decide, hey, that's who I am, no big deal. Now, let's say you truly are a Christian. You've generally given your heart to Jesus. But you decide that murmuring, complaining, being grumpy is no real big deal. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, it says it is a big deal and that we should not be murmurs and complainers and grumpy. But what I want to tell you is not that well, you can't go to heaven if you're grumpy. But I will tell you this, it will affect your life. It will bring death into certain areas of your life. 
maybe at work in your vocation or career. You know, you see, I wonder why people get promoted all around me and I don't get promoted. Because no one wants to work with you. No one wants you on their team. No one thinks, I really want the grumpy, fault-finding guy or gal to be on my team. No. So it brings death to your career or vocation. It brings death to relationships and friendships. All that stuff just, it brings death to areas of your life. Now, are you going to hell because of it? No. Did you fall over dead last time you complained? No. But it brings death to areas of your life. There was a lady that came up to me years ago. It came to church here. She doesn't come anymore. She, she loves the Lord. She really is a Christian. Still involved in another church and doing great for God. But she came up to me and she said, we were talking one day, and she said, I love to gossip. I thought, that's fine. I never had a gossip tell me they love to gossip. But this, this gal said, I love to gossip. I said, seriously? I said, I just don't picture that about you. But I said, um, uh, that's interesting. I said, I, I'm, I'm not an overly curious person, so I'm not like trying to get tidbits from situations of people. And if I do get a tidbit of information, it's, I'm not wired up to want to go tell that to people. I generally want to protect the person's reputation and, and not tell people. But we're all different, so everybody struggles with different things. So this person talked about that they struggled with gossip. Well, gossip will bring death into relationships. There'll be a point where your friends will start realizing that you're a gossip. Now I'm going to let you in a little secret. When your gossip friend comes over and hangs out with you and gossips about everybody, let me tell you something that you might not realize. They talk about you when there was someone else. So if that's never been a reality, you go, oh, great. So I probably just broke up a lot of friendships right there. Uh, wasn't my intention, but that's what happens. And pretty soon, you find out your friendships get broken because of that sin. Death comes into your area of relationships. But again, I'm not overly curious. Uh, Darling's not overly curious. She's a little more curious than I am, but not overly curious. I don't know if this is a husband-wife thing or, or what, but she always has more questions than I have answers. I, I don't know if that's, like, somebody will come up to me after a service and say, hey, we're not going to be here for the next two weeks. And I say, cool. I say, I'll see you when you get back. So I tell Darlene, hey, the Joneses aren't going to be here for a couple weeks. And she will say, what are they doing? I don't know. They just told me they weren't going to be here for the next couple weeks. Are they okay? I don't know. They just told me they're not going to be here for a couple weeks. Uh, is there an illness in the family or something that they need? I don't know. I just, all I know is they're not going to be here for a couple weeks. Well, that's strange. What do you think? I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. All, all I know is they're not going to be here for a couple weeks. And then she'll say something like, well, you really don't know much, do you? Yes, I do. They're not going to be here for a couple weeks. I know that. That's, but that's it. So there's always more questions, but... I'm not overly curious, so I guess I probably should ask, hey, is anything wrong or what you doing? But I'm just like, hey, you know, thanks for telling me. And, and uh, so we all have a certain level of curiosity. So when we do things that are wrong, it causes problems in our spiritual life and flows over into our natural life. So people say, well, what are we going to do with sin then? I mean, you say you're not going to be soft on sin or we shouldn't take sin lightly. Well, but you say that, you know, a true believer's gone to heaven on their best day or worst day. Well, let me, let me give you some, some truth here. If sin produces death, and it does, that should be a pretty good deterrent for us. We should say, hold, I don't want a life smattered with death. I don't want, you know, holes in my life because of sin. At one point, uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, some people wandered from the faith, and they've, they've pierced themselves 
with many griefs. I don't want self-inflicted wounds in my life in any area. So I want to ask, if you're not afraid of death being in your life, how about just loving God? Are you a Christian? Look what the scripture says in 1 Peter, written to Christians, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 13. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, that's a sign that we're Christians. In other words, this world's not our home. We have another home. We're aliens and foreigners on this planet. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires with wage, which wage war against your soul. Did you see that? Wages war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that's unbelievers, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We have an assignment. And that's to take Jesus to the world. So I, I want to encourage us. Let's do what Peter just said. Let's live such good lives that even if people make fun of us, even if they call us, you know, Bible thumpers or they think they're all this or la, 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 well, when the Lord visits, they'll, they'll recognize there's a real believer. And I will tell you, when God visits through circumstance, situations, crisis, whatever, they will seek out the person who really lived the thing in front of them. They won't seek out the person that lived like they lived and called themselves a Christian. See, that's a fallacy. We think, we need to act like the world and be like the world in order to win the world. No, that doesn't work. Because they say, you don't have anything that I don't have. Because you live and act and talk and think and plan and believe just like I do. They need to see something different, different in us. Peter goes on to write these words too. He says, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So our lives should be honorable. And I know we all break that at times, but the overall trajectory of our life ought to be honorable. And I found that, that if you have good relationships at work, school, and family, or neighborhood, and you really live this thing, but there's moments where you didn't live it so well, I found that even lost people will give you a pass for the occasional, they don't give you a pass if you just live like they live, but they'll give you a pass if they say, hey, I know those people really love the Lord. They were just in a stressful moment or something like that. But God's challenging us to live honorable lives. In verse 16, it says, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil or to sin. So you say, well, Tracy taught us we were free. Last four weeks we talked about we were free. You don't use your freedom as an excuse to sin. You use your freedom to honor God and to serve God. Again, sometimes we think, well, why will keep people from sinning? I think we need to keep people afraid. I think we need to keep people scared. I think we need to, we need to believe that, that they are going to split hell wide open if they don't dot every I and cross every T and do all those things. Well, again, we don't dot every I and cross every T. Remember what Peter said? We mentioned it last week. The Gentiles, non-Jews, were coming to know Jesus, and they said, well, what should we do? What rules and regulations should we give them? And Peter said, I don't know why we should put upon the Gentiles that which neither we nor our forefathers were able to bear. We couldn't keep it, so I put it on somebody else. But the, the, to dangle the thread of hell over somebody's heart who loves Jesus but is trying to grow in their walk with God is, is just not a good system because fear brings torment. God didn't design it that way. And first of all, I want to tell you this because you say, well, I, I feel like if you preach that, you'll just give people an excuse to sin. 
And let me tell you something. People don't need an excuse. They do it quite well, you know. They do it quite well with no excuses, okay? So we don't need an excuse to sin. People sin with no problem at all. We're, we're very capable at sinning. The second thing is, as I just mentioned, fear brings torment, so it's not from God. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear, fear has to do with torment. It has to do with judgment, it says. Because as believers, we have to understand that our judgment's been passed in Christ, and we are right before him. And the third thing is, is that we're almost saying, I really don't like God's program here. I like my program better. Let's quit teaching that, and let's teach this. Can't do that. We've got to stick with what the Word of God says. Is there a potential problem with talking about how on our worst day or best day, if you love Jesus, you're going to heaven? Of course there is. Paul ran into that all the time. People all the time said, woohoo, then I guess we're okay to sin. Paul said, God forbid, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer? Let's not do this. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. So there is a problem. But there's also a problem telling people that if you don't dot every I and cross every T at every moment at all the time and are repenting nonstop that you're going to go to hell because that's tormenting. And eventually people want to get out of that. Who wants to live in a religious system that brings torment and fear all the time? They, they don't want to live in that. So we need to stick with God's plan and then bring correction when people think, well, I'm free to know. Nope, the Bible says that if we're under grace, we are, grace empowers us to live right. So as soon as somebody comes and says, hey, I don't have to worry about, you know, sin because I'm under grace, I can sin all I want, I say, well, then you're not under grace because the Bible says actually law produces sin and grace produces righteousness. So we're, we're righteous. Now, I'm going to look at this other concept, see if we can figure out. There's this theme that runs all throughout the Bible. Even those who think that God in the Old Testament was really mean, but the God in the New Testament's really nice, I'll let you in on a deep insight. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. Okay, so it's the same, same one. Those who knew God best in the Old Testament said that God was loving and kind and all kinds of wonderful things. So... There's this theme that runs through the Bible, and I just put a little test up there, and you can just answer it in your own head. But it says, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? It said, Jesus answered, blank, the Lord, with all your heart. And then another one, there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and blank. I want you to look for the theme here. For God so blank the world. This is blank, not that we blank God, but he blank us. So I want, I want you to think, can you... Can you fill in those blanks and tell me what the theme of the Bible is? Love. Love. That's the theme of the Bible. God's essence is that. I don't know how that works, but the Bible says God is love. It doesn't say he's loving. He says he is love. And so this whole thing is based off of love. Just think about that. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you've got. And love your neighbor like you love yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Love. So I, I've got this crazy idea. I know it's crazy. It's wild. It's out there. Maybe we could say no to sin because we love God. I know that's really radical. That's crazy talk. You know, we love God. And not only do we love God, but we love people. And so the more I can say no to sin and yes to Jesus, the more honorable my life is and the more likely it is to impact the people around me. So, let's look at this verse. I want it to really settle in your heart. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. 
But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us so much. One translation, a lot of translations actually say he's abounding or abundant in love. So his, his mercy is rich, his love is abounding and abundant. And even though we were dead because of our sins, he, God, gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So th think about that. Rich mercy. Mercy, by the way, is when you don't get what you deserve. You understand that? I mean, you, you deserve judgment or punishment, but you get mercy. So mercy's not getting what you deserve. And our sins are gone. He's rescued us. He loves us. He's merciful to us. And when that settles in your mind, I want you to think, how should I respond to that? If your first thought is, wow, praise God, I can go sin like crazy then. There's a problem. There's a problem with our relationship. I'm very serious about this. If the first thought that comes to your mind, if I am a perfect forever and I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and on my best day or my worst day, I'm going to go to heaven. If the first thing that comes to your mind, then I don't need to deny myself of any sin. I have to honestly, and I'm very serious about that, I want to challenge you. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Do you really love God? Do you really love God? Now, I get this, that we sin, but if we don't have any kind of cut against the grain of my heart, I think there's a problem there. So here's a Christian truth. I am free from sin. I'm free from sin. Not, I'm not free to sin. I am free from sin, not free to sin. And so that's the glorious thing that we have in Jesus. We're free from sin. Now, there will be some things in your life that you'll struggle with. There will be some things. The, the, the founding fathers of the Christian world called these things besetting sins. They just can't see. You really struggle with those things. I want you to know there's still victory for even those things that really want to hold on tight, but you may struggle and fight with some things. But I'm hoping that our heart says, I don't want to sin, sin, sin. When I do sin, I hate it. When I do sin, I want to be free. When I do sin, I, I, I don't like that because I want to please God. That's a sign of your salvation. It's, it's, your sign of your salvation is not that you never sin, but that when you do, if you do, it just isn't what you want to do. It's not who you are. So some people say, well, how do you know there's battles against sin? Well, because first of all, we just read earlier that it wages war. Sin wages war against our soul. So there's a battle. There's a war being waged. And we also see this in Hebrews 12, 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle against sin. So if you're here today and say, I struggle against sin. Okay, well, according to the scripture, all Christians do. In your struggle against sin. Sin wages war against your soul. And so sin, we ought to feel, I don't like this. I hate this. I had a guy come to me one time. I didn't have a good answer for him. He said, <sighs> he gave his heart to the Lord, still serving Jesus, you know, 20 years later. And he really does love God, but he struggles with stuff. And he said, I'm just confused. He's just a new Christian. He said, I'm confused. When I didn't love Jesus, I sinned and enjoyed it and was happy to do more and more and more of it. I've now come to the Lord and I sin, and I hate it, and I just don't know why when you're not saved, you give your life to Jesus, that just all those things aren't gone. I said, good question. I don't have any answer for it either. I wish it was too.
But there is a struggle, according to Scripture, against sin. But I do see his point. Why? Help. He was saying help. But there's a growth process. And you will find that God does help. As you begin to press in and begin to say, hold it, I want to be everything God's called me to be, things begin to change. So I want to give you some insight on winning the war over sin. And I would like to say, hey, you ever get like this, you see somebody tell you a pointer and they make it sound like this will work every single time? This will not work every single time, but it will help you. There's a lot of things in Scripture that are, this is, this is a good pointer for most situations, but I won't guarantee you to work every time. The Bible says that a kind word, I always think of this one, that a kind word turns away wrath. And I will tell you that if you have a kind word when somebody's angry at you, most of the time, it will turn away wrath. I had a person come into my office many years ago, and they were very upset with me. And, uh, and by the way, I'm sure I've hurt many of your feelings. For all of you whom I have disappointed and hurt your feelings and you're still here, God bless you, thank you, because none of us are beyond that. But I don't wake up every morning thinking, yeah, I think I'll get them next week. You know, I don't wake up that way, but life just kind of happens, and, and we don't meet people's expectations. We hurt people's feelings. Well, this person's in my office, and it's very courageous. I'm saying, I need to meet with you and, and, you know, tell you how you've done wrong against me. And so they sat down, and they said, here's a situation. I felt you were wrong. They, they shared their heart, and I thought about it, and I said, well, you're right. I said, that was not kind or good or right. I said, would you forgive me? Now, and I was very sincere about it, but it totally ruined the speech they had ready. You know what I mean? Because if you want to, you know, you've got all this pent up. I've been thinking about what I'm going to tell you because most people won't fess up to their wrongs. They'll just say, well, I don't think I was wrong. Then you got the speech ready. And it just ruined the speech because what do you do when somebody says, you're right, I was wrong, I sinned, forgive me. They had this, because they loved Jesus, they had to go, okay, I forgive you. I mean, that's, and then it was over with. So, but I can tell you there are times where you might say, you're right, I was wrong, I feel like I sinned there, please forgive me, and then they blast you. So somebody can say, well, I don't think the Bible's true. It says a kind word turns away wrath. Well, it does most of the time. There's principles in the Bible, and that works almost all the time. So we want to do the principles of God to, to up our percentage. So here's something that I think will help you, it's you begin to develop a mindset of victory and of consistency, reminding yourself of who you are in Jesus. You start seeing yourself differently. And then you see, hold on, you know what? I am a new creation in Christ. So you start rehearsing what the scripture says about you. What does the scripture say about you? I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Wow, the Bible says... Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll send the Holy Spirit, and he'll come alongside to help you. So you start thinking about that. Well, the Bible says that God will cause me both to desire to do what is right, and he'll enable me to do what is right. Okay, I got that. And so you start thinking about all these things. You know, Romans says that I need to consider myself to be dead to sin and alive to God. Okay, so I'm going to get that picture of myself. And so I get this new creation identity. And so then, when sin comes knocking on the door, temptation, the one thing that's helped me a lot in life, and, and again, it hasn't always been perfect, and I don't always do it well, but I'll say, hold it, that's not who I am, and that's not what I'm about. But I can only say that by my identity in Christ, because my identity outside of Christ is a sinner. My identity in Christ is I'm the righteousness of God. So if I don't consider Jesus, then any sin or temptation comes, 
is very much of who I would be without Christ. So I got to get that Jesus identity and say, this is not who I am. This is not what I'm about. I always use this every time you hear me say this. An Olympic athlete has a vision for where they're going. And so do they get tempted to eat a couple Big Macs, a large fry, and a milkshake, and a Coca-Cola? Yes, I bet they do at times. But they say, hold it, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. Eating like that will not move me closer to my goal. It'll hinder me from that. So they start getting an identity. They have an identity that they are an Olympic athlete. And it changes the way they think and what they do and how they live and how they eat and how they exercise and all those things. We need to get an identity of who we are in Christ, how God sees us. So when the opportunity to lie or gossip or cheat or steal or lose your cool or rage or do drugs or drink or be immoral or on and on and on, the list goes on, we can say, hold it, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. And you begin to see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. And you remind yourself of that. You remind the devil of that. You remind sin of that. You remind temptation of that. This is who I am. So flying off the handle in a rage is not who I am. It's not what I'm about. It doesn't further the kingdom cause. Now, sin will come knocking on your door, promise you. Satan always wants to thwart what God wants good to be in your life, as we've already talked about. The devil's associates will want to rough you up a little bit but just remind them who you are. There's a, there a gentleman named uh, Terry Wardle. He was telling a story from his childhood. Terry was preteen, and uh, he had, like, graduated to a new era of his life where mom said, you no longer have to just ride around the cul-de-sac of the little neighborhood. You can venture out a little bit. You can go see your friends if you want to. And so he's got this newfound freedom. He tells the story. He said, I was so happy. I was even on my sister's blue girl bicycle and was still happy because I, I'm free. And so he's on his first journey past the little neighborhood to go see a friend. There's this little bridge, a little one-lane bridge. You see them around here. They're metal, and they got the wood slats on the thing. And so he's heading across there. And as he starts to go across there, these four teenagers pop out on the, on the other side. And uh, he thinks, I'll just try to ride by him. But when he rides by him, they grab his bike, and they stop him. So he realizes... I'm about to get beat up, and so he's scared to death, as, you, you know, a little probably 10-year-old would be, and uh, so they say, what are you doing, you know, all that stuff, they rustle up his shirt and ruffle it up and, you know, mess with him, he's scared, they say, I can't run, I can't fight, I'm just petrified, I'm just staring at him, and they said, who are you, what's your name, he says, Terry Wardle, and that's just how he said, that's the way it came out, and they said, he said, when I said my name, like three of them kind of looked odd, and they said, are you related to Tom Wardle? Now, he said Tom Wardle was his older cousin, and he was a star football player, a defensive lineman on the football team. And so these teenagers knew, knew Tom. He said, I still lied and told him he was my brother. <laughs> That's what the guy said. I said, you know, Tom's my brother. And they said, oh, yeah, hey hey, you know, you're a good kid. You know, they're straightening out his shirt and everything, and they're saying, it's all okay, man. We're just funning with you, just playing, you know. Hey, if anybody ever gives you any trouble, you just come to us, you know, and all that. So all of a sudden, something changed. And he said he realized that being Terry Wardle wasn't enough. Now, the world will tell you that you're enough. I want to tell you you're not enough. You need someone else in your life. And when Satan comes knocking, temptation comes, and sins come, you can say, you know what? And you, you won't be lying. Why don't you just take it up with my big brother? 
I'm sure you've heard of him. His name's Jesus. And I believe those demons will go, hey, we're just fun and, you know, it's all okay, you know, you just stay, you know, all's, all's good, all's fine. Because we're not enough, and that's not a negative thing. We, we just need Jesus. Jesus makes us totally complete. And I want to encourage you today. We're going to go to the Lord's table. It's a great time to renew your relationship with Jesus or, or give your heart to him even for the first time. It's a beautiful thing to do. And I want to encourage you. It's, it's okay to say, I'm not enough. The world wants to tell us we're enough. We kind of know down the side we're not enough, don't we? And that doesn't have to be negative. We can say, I'm not enough, but with Jesus, I am. With Jesus, I am. Just look at this scriptures. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. See that? Without Jesus, I can do nothing. But in Christ, I can do all things. Isn't that cool? We... we we need Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you, just yield your life to him. I'm going to ask those who are going to serve to come on forward. We're going to do something different today. I've always noticed something about doing different things. We love and hate different things. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> there's a part of us that, oh, good, we did something fresh and new. And there's another part of it, well, I like the way we do it all the time. There's, we have this, this struggle. We're going to do something a little different. Um, we're going to actually play the song while we do communion, I Thank God. I Thank God. Hell lost another one. I am free. And I want you to believe, because I'm again telling you what the Bible says. The, and here is, is some bread, just naturally speaking, gluten-free bread. And it represents the body of Christ. And the Bible says, that his broken body healed us. That by his stripes, you were healed. I'm just asking us to dare believe for the miraculous today because you and I are believers. We're, believe we're not doubters, we're believers. And the Bible says that this juice representing the blood of Christ, that his shedding of blood created a new covenant, a new relationship, and it didn't just cover sins, it removed sins as far as the east is from the west. So I want you to believe for physical, the bread, the broken body, physical, mental, emotional health. Their belief for it, their belief for it. And spiritual health, spiritual health. Let's dare believe. Because we're just a bunch of Terry Wardles uh, going, Terry Wardle, <laughs> wait, I need help. <laughs> but we got somebody better than his big cousin Tom Wardle. We have Jesus who soundly defeated the enemy and made an open show, an open shame of him. So we're going to believe for miracles in here. And um, one thing I want to do before we have communion, and so many things I think God was orchestrating. Darlene was up like 4 o'clock this morning, felt like we need to have an altar call. Uh, this is another thing too, just side note, uh, and maybe this isn't in all relationships, but every now and then she'll wake up at 4 and say, are you awake? No, I'm not awake. Yeah, no. <laughs> I feel like we need to have an altar call today. Okay, well, tell me that at 6 this morning. <laughs> it was, I really wasn't snarky with her. But, uh, uh, but, and then, you know, we had a feeling about what to do. Wayne, Wayne felt led about the song and about what we need to really believe God for. Larry Shelp was saying, I think it was, I think it was last night uh, or this morning when he got up and prayed. Oh, there's Larry over there. Uh, they said, you know what? I, I believe there's people who have never really confessed Jesus. 
they've gone to church, they've done things, they've said things. We're going to confess Jesus today because this whole table is about Jesus and what he wants to do in us. And so what I would like to do before we pass this out, could we just stand to our feet for a moment? Romans 10 tells us that if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we confess that with our mouth. We believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, thou shalt be saved. Now, I want to be clear about this. I think I could go give somebody a hundred bucks and say, repeat these words to me, and I don't think they're born again. I've had people argue with me that, but I don't think they're born again because I think they did it for a hundred bucks, not for Jesus. But I believe you're here today because you have a heart for Jesus. There just would be no reason to be here if you didn't have a heart for Jesus. And so we're going to make that public profession of faith of Jesus. So I would just like for you, before we go to communion, just, just repeat after me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I confess your Lordship over my life. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I want to seal the deal this very day that I am born again and heaven bound and covered in your son. I declare this shamelessly in Jesus' name. Amen.